Welcome to Fireside Financial. Together, Joe Curry and Regan Schiller offer and discuss insights and advice on all aspects of retirement planning. So grab a cup of coffee or tea, sit back and join us by the fireside as we explore all the topics related to planning for your retirement. JC, welcome back once again. Hey, Regan, good to see you again. (laughs) Excited for another chat. Yeah, so uh, today we're going to talk about HELOC versus reverse mortgages and also potentially versus an all-in-one. Yeah, so, you know, this is a question that we get quite a bit. Should I look into a reverse mortgage? Is that an option for retirement planning or should I keep my home equity line of credit? Should I look at downsizing? Like, how do I know when to make the move or how do I make sure that, you know, I have this investment in my house? Everyone knows what real estate's done in the last decade. So... Mm -hmm. A lot of people have a lot of their wealth sitting there and want to know if they can access that. So I just thought it might be uh, something to chat about, again, since it comes up a lot in a lot of the meetings that I'm having. I think one of the things that kind of couples along with this is people going into retirement often feel that they shouldn't or cannot have debt in retirement. What's your position on that? If that is the case, how would you foster that conversation? Sure. So, I mean, most of the people we're talking about, not everyone, but most of the people we're talking to as they're getting their retirement have taken care of the debt. And often we're approaching this from a, almost like an insurance standpoint. And so what I mean by that is, uh, actually, we were just talking about this before the show, Regan, long-term care insurance in theory is really great, but often the people who need it can't afford it and the people who can afford it don't need it. So Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the most viable option to help with some kind of end of life type planning. Like what's going to happen if we have these increased healthcare costs later on in retirement? So... Mm -hmm. One option is to have some kind of a a debt product, like a line of credit there. What I mean is we plan that you're just going to follow the plan, the retirement plan. You have your retirement accounts, maybe your pension, CPP, OIS, all the different pieces that are going to provide you that income. If there is a spike in the required funds because of healthcare later on that we haven't planned for or is more significant than we're able to plan for, then you have that insurance piece as of the home equity line of credit or an all-in-one account, which we can talk about what that is, which gives you some flexibility. So let's say it's a a couple, one of them's unable to stay in the house, they need to go in for care. And then all of a sudden we have these additional expenses, right? So there's an extra kind of, uh, I guess, valve we can open to get some extra funding. It's tax-free to pull it out of there. In a lot Mm -hmm. of cases, that home is a significant asset. So even if we're taking a few thousand a month out of there, when we're in our 80s or, or later on, and hopefully over time, again, the home equity is still growing, like it's not really going to impact what's left as far as... Yeah, exactly, right? So kids can still sell mm-hmm. the house. There's still going to be money left over. We're not talking about spending all of the equity in the home, mm-hmm. but more of an insurance piece, right? Or another piece of that is, look, we don't want to go to long-term care, but to stay in the house, we're going to need to pay for care. We're going to need to do a bunch of different rentals for accessibility. So again, yeah. there's that extra layer of uh, of funding, so to speak, that could help with some of those um, potential products or costs. For sure. Yeah. Because I often, if clients are approaching retirement and if they don't have like a HELOC or an all-in-one in place, I would encourage them to do so not so that they use it, but just so it's a lot easier to qualify for it when you're working Yeah, you have a good track record. And that's just from an emergency standpoint. Because if you think about if you know, we've had it in cases in the past where the client said, okay, I want to give my kids 20 grand. Well, markets weren't doing so good at that particular time. And so use the line of credit or the HELOC, whatever the case may be, to fund that 
gift, if you will, that loan to your kids. And then once we have market recovery, we can redeem that money and pay off the liability. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what we talked about in the last episode, Regan, where we talked about moving money out of the rifts kind of on a systematic basis more than we need. So we're building up some more liquid funds that are going to cost us a bunch of tax if we need to take a big lump sum out. But yep. this is another way of doing that, right? It gives you that backup. You could put it on that line of credit and then we could take out yep. money over a couple of year period from the rifts to limit the amount of taxes that are going to be payable. Yeah, the all-in-one account, that's an interesting one. It has a bunch of features and benefits, which might be new language for some of the listeners. From your perspective, how would you explain the all-in-one to somebody who knows nothing about it? Sure, so I'd say the all-in-one kind of describes the fact that it's the home equity line of credit and the bank account mm -hmm. in one. So let's just say if we were starting at a zero balance from a bank account perspective and a zero balance from debt, this operates just like a bank account. So if someone gets their withdrawals from their portfolio, their CPP, their OAS, if they have a pension, like that could all go into that bank account. And mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, let's just say we have 10 grand in there from all those deposits. But then mm -hmm. let's just say we have some, you know, we had to buy a car or some, some big expense comes up. So we would have a positive $10,000 balance. And then let's say mm -hmm. we spend $20,000 on a car. Now all of a sudden we have a negative $10,000 balance. Mm -hmm. And so there's no need to go into a separate account to take money out of the line of credit move it over to the bank account to buy the car, and then we have the debt sitting separately. And here's where the advantage of that is. Other than the simplicity, the other advantage is that as soon as all my income comes in for the next month, it immediately mm -hmm. goes on to the debt, right? Mm -hmm. So if we have another $10,000 of pension OAS, CPP, portfolio withdrawals, then our negative 10,000 jumps right back up to zero balance. Well, after the cost of living, so if they... Let's say they have a cost of living of five thousand. They're using that to to fund it, but still, they'd be now only five thousand negative. Yeah, and it's on a daily. It's calculated on a daily balance. So, mm -hmm. if all that money goes in, we go to a zero balance for day one. Then, for that one thirtieth of the month, there's no interest. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the mm -hmm. next day we spend five hundred dollars on groceries. So now we have five hundred dollars of debt in there for that day. We're paying interest on. So it's just limiting yeah. the amount of interest. Now, yeah. one of the things I like about that is, and we won't get into company specifics here. There's a couple companies that do this. The ones that I'm familiar with, if it's a couple and one of the spouses were to pass away, they don't actually ask you to requalify financially. And unfortunately, in certain cases, that's not the outlook the big banks will take on that. And so if you have a home equity line of credit, one of the spouses passes away in retirement, they can make you requalify the surviving spouse and they can do whatever they want basically with that loan. They can call it, they can turn it into a term loan. And unfortunately, it's created some situations that aren't very ideal, a lot of financial stress when you know someone's also trying to grieve, right? So there's a lot going on there. So that's yeah. one of the one of the good things I found with this option is it's not something you have to worry about. As of right now, anyway, obviously that could change. Another advantage, it's more for well, sometimes it's for accounting purposes and sometimes it could be for mental accounting purposes. Typically with the all-in-one accounts, you can set up multiple sub-accounts inside the all-in-one account. I believe. Some of them are even up to, I think, 99 sub-accounts that you could have in there. And so why would you want to do this? Well, let's say you lent kid one so much money or kid two so much money. Um, you could set up different accounts that you've lent for those kids. And just that would be more of the mental accounting, I guess, just to have it separated. The second would be is if maybe you wanted to use some of that all in one and do a purchase on a property for a down payment for a rental property. Well, now from an accounting standpoint, that 
liability, if you will, for that rental property is now a tax deductible event. And it's very clear and separated from uh, the statements for your accountant to to claim on your tax returns. And the reason that would be beneficial is in the event of ever being audited, it's a clear cut uh, number. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, you know, a perfect example of the helping out your kids. So we, we have a couple of clients who, you know, kids needed help for a down payment in a house or needed to buy a car. And so they didn't want to give them the money. They wanted to they still have to pay it back and put that financial independence piece on them, but they wanted to help them out. So they've done exactly that. So, you know, 30 grand out for a car. Mm-hmm. It's in that separate account. They know exactly what's owing on interest each month. And then so the kids just pay that back. And then when they have extra money, they throw down principal. But it's just kept clear and, and it's easy to track. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing to keep in mind with the all-in-one. So it is backed against your equity of your house. So keeping that in mind. And when they do the evaluations of your property, because I had this recently, they don't necessarily take the market value. Like it's not the same evaluation process as your realtor might do to list it on realtor.ca, right? They'll look at things like um, what area are you in? How long does it take for a house to sell? What is the houses around you valued at in comparison to yours? And it's basically a different uh, credit score almost to determine how much the value of your property is because the all-in-one is going to be a percentage value of that number. Yeah. So it's a it's more of a risk adjustment type uh, evaluation that the underwriters would do to determine how much you can qualify for an all-in-one. Yeah, and they typically have an appraiser come out. So yeah, not a realtor, like an actual mm-hmm. appraiser is coming out to, to do that and work with the underwriter. And then you'll get a higher percentage of the equity in your home if you're still working and have income. Mm-hmm. And then typically, I believe it's about 50% of the equity in your home if you're um, retired. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have to look into that. But I just had that recently where the client was like, what? My place is worth $1.5 million and they're only valuating it at, like, I think it was like 900 and some thousand. And I had to speak to some of the underwriters about this, but they basically explained that to me. And, and I, up until that point, I wasn't aware that's how the evaluation was completed. It's not just based on market value. Yeah. And I, I will say that's also, in a way, it's a good thing, right? So is one of the things people worry about is taking on too much debt in retirement, not being able to pay that back off. But they're going to conservatively, as you said, appraise what that value is and how much they're giving you. So even if you're, you know, having to dip into that a little bit here and there during retirement, you're not going to get up to the full value of your home. You know, if you do sell it later on or the kids sell it once you pass away, like there's still going to be some equity there. Yeah, it's a risk adjustment on the underwriters and the lenders for that matter. The other thing too, keep in mind with the all-in-one, is that as the principal gets paid down, the balance of what's available would go up. Yeah. So one thing I would say to that is where the all-in-one is not for everyone is so for people who are big spenders and could you mm-hmm. can easily get carried away on this, right? And yeah. so it definitely serves a purpose. And I don't think either Regan or I are advocating anybody taking out a bunch of debt in retirement. We're just mm-hmm. talking about a tool to, you know, help with your situation given, you know, whatever's come up make sure you get through without having to pay too much tax or pull money out when markets are down or not get the care you need, like kind of those scenarios. Well, I think too, like I use it as a risk tool, essentially. I agree. I would never encourage someone, hey, let's get a line of credit or a HELOC and now you get all this money you can spend. (laughs) Never the case. But I I use it as an emergency tool. Essentially, that's how I would look at it. And if you look at the history of like the purpose of a line of credit is for emergency events. That's yeah. Why it was created. 
you would have went through the CFP program around the same time as I did. Uh, we used to have to do what's called capstone courses. Yeah. And the capstone course was you got a fake file. You'd have to do like a 60-page report on your conversations with them, the things you've learned based on their file and the recommendations and why and everything like that. In that scenario, let's say I had a file that I was writing an essay on. If part of my recommendations were to get a line of credit for three to six months of uh, cost of living, that would be an acceptable answer on that exam. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think that when I did my capstone course, I did need to use a, a line of credit, all my career line of credit. Oh, really? Yeah, to make it all work in it. It all worked great, yeah. so I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a fun thing. Yeah. One of the other things, we're talking about the homework line of credit, but we haven't really talked about reverse mortgages, which is another kind of, right. I guess, product in this arena. Not something I've ever recommended, and I can talk a little bit about that, but I'm not sure your thoughts on it or if you've ever used no, them. No, I haven't. I've never recommended or maybe I've come across one, maybe. The way that I always understood reverse mortgages and this isn't an insult to any of our listeners, that it's typically there for people that didn't save enough for retirement is how I uh, have come to understand. And I may be wrong, but again, I haven't spent a ton of time uh, with reverse mortgages. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably true. The other thing that I don't love about them is that there's not nearly as much flexibility as a line of credit. You can't just pay it back very easily. You're usually taking some kind of a lump sum or you're taking some kind of an income. And so, yeah, it's kind of, you're right. It's like replacing that income for people who don't otherwise have it, but kind of mm -hmm. forcing that debt on you a little bit. Whereas the, like the all-in-one account or the home equity line of credit is going to give you that flexibility. Like if you need it, it's there, but you don't have to take more than you need and start paying interest on something you don't need right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can just pay it back whenever you feel like paying it back as well, right? So that's right. why I really like the flexibility of those, those options yeah. more than the, the reverse mortgage. Yeah, like I said, I don't think it's a popular tool that would be widely used. Like in 14 years of doing this, I've, like I said, maybe I've come across one in, in my career. So yeah, having multiple conversations a day about people's finances and not seeing it would, would tell me that it's not that uh, popular of a tool. Definitely. And I was curious on your thoughts on uh, like downsizing or when should someone look at moving to a retirement home or retirement community? Yeah, I think that's each to their own. Like, you know, it is very much part of a lot of our clients' plans that eventually they would downsize their home because they don't want to maintain the upkeep of it or it's just too much space for what they need now. And then also you have people that would stay in their house until they move into a retirement community, which we had uh, that happen with one of our clients. She did that, you know, I want to say like this summer kind of thing, but it, it was part of the plan. But for her, she sold the house, moved into a retirement community and gave the proceeds of the house to her beneficiaries, her kids, as she didn't need the money and she thought it was a nice way to give them a inheritance while she can see them enjoy it. Sure. What I've seen is a lot of my kind of widowed or widower clients, when they're getting older, they're a couple. So one of them passes away and now it's just too much for one of them to look after on their own. And, you know, we have a few clients in the last year that that scenario has happened and it's going to be happening again soon with another one of our clients mm -hmm. um, where it's, um, you know, there's a little bit less income coming in because mm -hmm. we've lost some OAS some limited CPP and maybe pensions gone down a little bit. Like there's a lot of things that could potentially happen when you become single, right? Taxes, you can't do pension splitting or anything like that anymore. So we pay more taxes with the same amount of income. So all of a sudden the expenses are higher, maintenance is higher because it's, you know, there's only uh, one person there to look after yeah. everything. And so that's a, a time where I've seen a lot of people say, look, I'm just going to sell. It'll help me, you know, fund whatever retirement home I want to go to because there's a good chunk of money coming in there. And, I'll get that social piece I'm not getting because my spouse is no longer here. So there's kind of a lot of reasons why I, I see that be a, a trigger for, for the downsizing. 
Absolutely. Actually, if you look at either downsizing to a smaller home 10 years after retirement, right? And whatever range of home that they feel they might be in, but then taking that difference and reinvest it back into, most oftentimes it would go into a non-registered from an illustration perspective or just running the concept, if you will. Um, That or selling the house and renting in the future. And then you just put in a monthly income of what they would rent. Those two things typically have a very significant positive impact on one's retirement plan. Yeah, for sure. And I guess it gives them a lot of flexibility to be where they want. And again, yeah, a lot less things to worry about, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's a very common theme that we would talk about with, with clients. And some of them would stay in their homes until they, until they can. To the end. Yeah. So I think if it's something that you're open to, for whatever reason, I think running those strategies, seeing what impact that would have on your cash flow, taxes, net worth, and your final estate, if that was a concern of yours, but looking at those factors and seeing what impact that would have. And then now, if it was a positive impact, imagining what you would do with your life at that point in time. Yeah. What would it do for you, essentially? Yeah. I guess the other two things where I see the planning around downsizing coming in, kind of like when we're planning ahead, is mm-hmm. uh, where someone doesn't really have enough in the portfolio to sustain the full retirement, but they want to mm-hmm. have that, say, nice house on the water, as an example. And they say, like, look, while we're able to enjoy it, we want to be on the water. That's what we love. And we know that at a certain point, we're not going to be able to look after this place anyway, to the same extent. And we're going to want to be closer to town or whatever that scenario is. So we just want to build it into our plan that that nice place on the water, we're going to sell it. And then we're going yeah. to use that to then buy a you know, cheaper house in town or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And you know, for most people, their primary home is their biggest investment for the most part. Not everybody, of course, but uh, for a significant portion of Canadians, that's going to be one of their bigger investments. And if it's part of their retirement plan, as you're explaining there, then I think that's perfectly fine. It's how you want to enjoy it. So Yeah. And then maybe the last thing I would warn about planning for a downsize in retirement is, especially here, I'm not sure all across Canada, maybe you could speak to this a bit, Regan, but I mean, around Peterborough, GTA, like, by the time you sell your house, you pay the realtor fees, you pay the land transfer tax. There's not a lot of extra cash flow coming in to go from a bigger house to a smaller house necessarily. Right. Yeah. So that's just the one thing. If you're expecting to have a great big windfall because you're going from a big house to a small house, that depending on where it's, you are, it may not be. Uh, yeah, very true. Yeah. Being in Edmonton, Alberta, our, obviously our price of houses is significantly less than where you're at. So let's say you're going from an $800,000 place to a $450,000 place, depending on the situation, there might not be a ton of trade-offs actually in between those two. It might be the size of the place or the location and or how new it is. Yeah. So it just depends what you'd be looking for, I guess. But Perfect. Yeah, I think that's good. A lot of good tips around how to use maybe debt or downsizing in retirement and looking forward to chatting again next month, Regan. Yeah. And as always to our listeners, the stuff we talk about here shouldn't be understood as go get a line of credit and use it. We're not uh, encouraging that, but we're just basically talking about the different positive uses that you could have with HELOC and all-in-one. Absolutely. Thanks for the disclaimer, Regan. (laughs) All right. Take care, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. Investment services are provided through Matthews & Associates Investments of Aligned Capital Partners Incorporated and approved trade name of Aligned Capital Partners Inc. ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning, and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. 
Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, and you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode. And until then, we're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.